Well, it's good to be back with you guys this weekend, and if you're joining us for the very first time, uh, we're in a series that we're calling Lessons from the Quarantine, and you're probably figuring out by now that there's a lot of opinions floating around out there as to how we actually navigate a pandemic. And as a result, we're finding that there's a lot of conflict between friends, a lot of conflict between family members, even conflict among church members. And it's because we're looking at things from different perspectives. For example, as I said last weekend, uh, there's many of you, you would hold to the position, we need to stay home, we need to stay safe, we need to wear our mask, uh, we need to just wait this thing out, hopefully we'll get a vaccine. And then there are those who want to reopen the state, reopen the country. Maybe they need to get back to work. And they're thinking, you know what, let's just get out there. Let's get the virus. Uh, it says that there's a 99.7% chance that we're going to recover from it. Let's get the antibodies. Let's just move on. And then you got the whole mask and, and no mask issue. You may remember uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, they told us, you don't need a mask. And then they came out and said, you know what, you should wear a mask. And then last week, I don't know if you read it or not, but the World Health Organization said you should only wear a mask if you're taking care of a patient that has COVID-19. And then to make it even more interesting, they're discovering that more and more people are showing up at the emergency room thinking that they have COVID-19 because they have such pain in their lungs, but they actually have pleurisy, which is just a, an inflammation of the lining of the lungs. Guess what it's caused by? Wearing masks and just breathing in your bacteria and that carbon dioxide over and over again. And if you're like me, I mean, you just go to bed at night and you're doing the best you can, but you're wondering, does anybody really know the right thing to do? Does anybody really know what's best? And as a result, there's just no clarity, right? Well, this is what's interesting. Anytime you're in a situation where you have no clarity, you are going to have a lot of confusion. And whenever you have a lot of confusion, you are going to have conflict. And if you don't believe that, just take a little stroll down social media lane. You'll only have to go about 30 seconds to 45 seconds, and you will find it is getting mean, it is getting harsh, it is getting snarky, it is getting really, really ugly out there. And I think part of the reason is, None of us really know how to handle conflict. And by the way, I always love it when you're on social media and maybe you're a Christian, it's even worse for me uh, being in the ministry, and you disagree with someone or you make a statement and often they will respond, uh, you need to be more like Jesus. And what they're really saying without saying is this. They're saying Jesus was loving, Jesus was kind, Jesus was gentle. He would never offend me the way you offended me. And when I read something like that, this is what I think. I don't know what Jesus you're talking about, but you're certainly not talking about the Jesus of the Bible. And don't get me wrong, Jesus was loving, Jesus was kind, Jesus was gentle. But I tell you what, if you study the New Testament, you just do not find Jesus making people comfortable. In fact, I'll tell you this, Jesus was the most controversial, Jesus was the most confrontational person that has ever walked this earth. But see, we don't think of it that way. We like to remember things like when Jesus said, be gentle as a dove. We love that, but we forget that he's like, I also gave you a brain, put on your thinking cap, and be wise as a serpent. See, we remember that Jesus is the one who invited the children to come to him, but we forget that one time he became so frustrated, so irritated with the Jewish religious leaders, what they had done to the temple, what they had done to God's house, that he made a whip he went in and he cleared the place out. I mean, can you picture Jesus with a whip over his head, you know, driving out the money changers, flipping over the tables, animals running everywhere, total chaos. See, we, don't, we, don't, we remember that Jesus said things like, you know what, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
Or, you know what, turn the other cheek. Or do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or love your neighbor as yourself. But then we forget that this is the same Jesus who told his disciples when he was sending them out in pairs. He said, by the way, get a sword. Even if you have to sell something else, get a sword. You may need it. In fact, Jesus says, when you go into the towns and into the villages and you spread my truth, my teachings, and they, they ignore you, don't worry about it. Kick the dust off your sandals. Don't put your pearls out there before swine. Jesus was basically saying, hey, just leave them. Ignore them. Get on with your life. In fact, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Let me tell you something. That, to me, does not sound like a Jesus that's trying to avoid conflict. It almost sounds like a Jesus who's trying to stir up conflict. I mean, think about it. What does a sword do? Well, if you're facing a disorder, a sword, you got a decision to make. You can either surrender or you're going to fight. But the reality is this, a sword forces a response. It forces a reaction. When you're facing a sword, it, face, it forces a decision. My point is simply this. Jesus was not some mamby-pamby, spineless kind of spiritual leader. He didn't avoid confrontation. He didn't avoid conflict. But this is what you learn about Jesus. He had a perfect balance of toughness and tenderness. In other words, he knew when to be tough, but he also knew when to be tender. Years ago, when I was a young pastor, pastoring in Southern California, uh, I met monthly with a group of pastors, and one of the pastors that were in, was involved in that group was a pastor out in California for many years, now he's in Texas, by the name of Chuck Swindoll. And I really believe that Chuck Swindoll has had as much spiritual impact on this generation. I mean, I put him right up there with Billy Graham. And if you haven't listened to his messages on Insight for Living, it's, it's a national radio program, or maybe read some of his books, it's incredible the impact he's made on the Christianity and the Christian faith. And so one day we're sitting at a table, and I asked him, and I didn't call him Chuck. I called him Pastor Swindoll. I mean, he was on a pedestal, right? I said, Pastor Swindoll, what is the key to the healthy Christian life? And this is what he said. The key to a healthy Christian life is balance. In other words, if you get out of balance in any area of your life, if you take any area of your life to an extreme, you're going to become unhealthy. And so understand, the problem isn't that there's conflict among us. The problem isn't that we disagree. In fact, we deep down inside know that conflict and disagreement can actually be a good thing. It can actually make us stronger. But for that to become a reality, it's going to take and require a biblical approach, and there's going to have to be balance. Now, here's the problem. The problem is most of us have never received any training when it comes to handle con how we handle conflict. And if we haven't received any training, and if we especially don't know what the Bible has to say about how we're to handle conflict, well, we're probably going to handle conflict the way our family handled conflict. After all, that's our role model, Right? And even though you said you would never act like your parents, you probably act like your parents when it comes to how you handle conflict. And that's not bad if your parents were good role models. But if they weren't good role models, the long-term ramifications of that can be disastrous. So this is what I want to do this weekend. I want us to see what the Bible has to say about how we handle conflict, how we handle tension, how we deal with differences. And to be honest with you, when we began this series and when I began to put together this message, it was about COVID-19 because there's certainly conflict. But as we have seen in the last few weeks, the racial tension in America is getting incredible. Uh, the, the racial injustice, the inequality, once again has risen to the surface 
and there's a lot of conflict as to how we move forward. And so we want to address that this weekend. But to do that, I want to begin by just sharing some things with you about conflict that we all need to remember. Here's the first thing. Conflict is inevitable. I mean, if you are alive, you are going to have conflict, okay? You're going to have disagreements with people in your lives. And honestly, I don't like that. I don't like conflict. In fact, if you've ever taken uh, the Strength Finders test, maybe you read that book and took the test, my top three strengths are this, woo, winning others over, and if you're going to win others over, you have to like people, and they have to like you, and that can't happen if you have a lot of conflict, okay? My second is harmony. I just want people to get along. Third, positivity. In fact, a few uh, years ago, uh, one of our worship leaders had come down, that's now on staff, he had come down to visit, and, and Laura and I were asked to have lunch with him uh, to see how we liked him to begin this journey of is hope the right place for him to be on staff. And so we're, we're having lunch together, and of course, you know, when I interview somebody, I want to know what your favorite color is, what sports teams do you pull for, right? All the really deep stuff, but Laura's the analytical one. So she's, you know, what color are you, what season are you, all the personality tests. And finally she asked him, you know, have you ever taken Strength Finder? And he says, yeah, my top three strengths are. And uh, he listed them. Honestly, they sounded very, very boring to me. But when he finished listing his strengths, he looked at me and said, Mike, what are yours? And I said, well, woo, harmony, and positivity. And without cracking a smile, he looked at me and said, wow, you're a Christmas elf. Yeah, that's kind of the way I am. I really want people to get along. But you know what? The reality is conflict is inevitable. Second, in every conflict, there are two ingredients. There's an issue and there are varying perspectives. There's an issue, but we have different ways of seeing the issue. I mean, let's face it, no two people see everything the same way. And it's because we're from different backgrounds. Uh, we have different scars, we have different life experiences. And because of all of these variables, we can look at the very same issue, but we're gonna see it from different perspectives. By the way, let me just say this. The issue at stake always involves a principle. The viewpoints or your perspectives always involve things like temperaments, personality, life experiences. The principles are clear. For example, racism, wrong. COVID-19, bad. Nobody's going to argue that. But the personalities, the temperaments, see, the life experiences, that's what complicates matters. So in every conflict, there are two ingredients. There's an issue and there are varying perspectives. Here's the third thing I want you to know. In many conflicts, each side is valid. And for those of you who always have to be right, see, that's tough to hear. But understand, in many conflicts, each side is valid. Uh, David Augsburger has written a book. It's called Caring Enough to Confront. It's one of the best books ever written on the perspective of how do you deal with confrontation? How do you handle conflict? And in it, he writes this. He says, conflict is neither right nor wrong. It just is, and you have to deal with it. And believe it or not, some of the same kind of conflict that you may be having in your life right now, maybe it relates to COVID-19. Maybe it relates to the racial issues that are going on in our country. That very same kind of conflict occurred between two of the most respected men in the New Testament. One's name was Paul, the Apostle Paul. The other's name was Barnabas. And not only were they godly men, and not only were they godly leaders, understand, they were besties. I mean, these guys are like best friends. In fact, Paul owed more to Barnabas. By the way, the word Barnabas means son of encouragement. 
Paul owed more to Barnabas than any other person on the face of the earth. I mean, you may remember Paul's story. His name wasn't always Paul. At one point, his name was Saul, and he was a very zealot, uh, very ambitious Jewish uh, leader. He was not happy with Christianity. And after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and after the Holy Spirit came, and after the church began in Acts chapter 2, it was driving him nuts. And so he kind of took it on as his own responsibility to end this movement of Christianity. And so he was going around Jerusalem, going around Judea, arresting, uh, punishing, imprisoning those who were followers of Jesus Christ. And then one day on the road to Damascus, he has that encounter with Jesus Christ. His life is changed. He changes his name from Saul to Paul, and you can imagine that when Paul showed up back in Jerusalem, where the first group of Christians maybe were having a potluck together, and he thought he was going to be a part of it, they weren't that excited to see him. They weren't so sure that this conversion was true. It's kind of like Kanye, right? People just aren't sure, right? we got to watch him for a while. Well, when they were rejecting Paul and not accepting him, it was Barnabas son of encouragement. They came along, Paul, put his arm around his shoulder and said, he's the real deal. You can trust this guy. Jesus Christ has transformed his life. Now think about it. That's the kind of relationship they had. But they ended their relationship over an issue that we look back on now and we're like, man, what was the big deal? Let me show you the issue. It's in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, they make this decision. Hey, they're going to go on a mission trip together. How cool is that? You can see Acts chapter 13, verse 4. It says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John, by the way, who's also referred to as John Mark. By the way, he's Barnabas' cousin, okay? John was with them as a helper. So when you think about John or John Mark, think of him as a missionary intern. He's an up-and-comer. He has some good heritage. He has good training. And if you wonder about his credentials, this is the young man who is eventually going to grow up, and he's going to write what we have in our Bible is the gospel of Mark. So he's the real deal. But at this point in his life, he's young. He's impressionable. We would say maybe he's immature. He's wet behind the ears, but they invite him to go on this mission trip. Well, notice it says in verse 13 of Acts chapter 13, from Pappas, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them and returned home to Jerusalem. You're like, well, what happened? I mean, it started out smooth sailing. What happened? Well, to understand what happened, you have to understand this area of Pamphylia. For example, it was known for an area that was, had very, very cool nights, but very, very hot, sticky, humid days. And as a result, it was the perfect breeding ground for diseases like malaria, other coastal diseases. I mean, can you say pandemic? But not only that, there was a mountain range, a very steep mountain range that just came right up off of the coast. And to get to any of the cities where they were going to minister, they had to go through these passes. They had to go through these canyons. And they were known for their crime, their violence, being robbed and held up. And so John Mark, this young man, he gets there. He sees all the sickness. He sees all the danger. And he realizes, man, I am not cut out for this. And he catches the first boat back home to mama. And this is what Paul is thinking. Loser, you know, snowflake, snowflake. 
And Paul and Barnabas, to their credit, they go on and they finish their missionary trip. However, they finish it as a duo, not a trio. But this sets the stage for the conflict between these two friends. You see it, Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So it's a follow-up trip. So they're thinking, yeah, road trip, right? And you know what Barnabas' first thought was this. I'm going to call John Mark. I'm going to call my cousin, tell him to pack a bag. Notice what it says. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. And now we have a problem. Now we have a conflict. Now we have an issue. And the issue is simply this. Should John Mark be given a second chance? And Barnabas like, I vote absolutely yes. And Paul's like, I vote positively no. I want you to see the viewpoint of Barnabas. Now, again, understand Barnabas, uh, he's, he, he's a people person. He's full of compassion, mercy. He's an encourager. He's, he's like me. He's kind of like a Christmas elf, right? And so this is what he's thinking. Remember John Marks, his cousin. He's thinking, you know what? He's probably embarrassed by that, that he was afraid that he went home. We need to give him another opportunity. We need to encourage him. This could be key to his growth, his Christian journey, right? And I think that all of us can relate to this because every one of us, we can remember a time in our life when we needed a second chance. I mean, the reality is if you've accomplished anything in your life, you would have never accomplished it without a second chance. I mean, I know you wouldn't have a pastor. See, there wouldn't be many parents out there as if it's the first time you blew it, they took the kids away from you. So you blow it all the time, but you're still stuck with the kids. My point is simply this. We all need second chances and fourth chances and 10th chances and 20th chances. So we certainly understand Barnabas' perspective. We, we get it. We, we get his viewpoint. We can relate to this. But you'll notice it says in Acts 15, verse 38, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. So when Barnabas brings up giving John Mark a second chance, Paul's like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, Barnabas, don't forget, he bailed on us. When we needed him the most, he was back home in Jerusalem watching Tiger King with mom. I am not taking him on another trip. So understand, Barnabas is looking at the man, what it could mean to him, what it could mean to John Mark. Paul is looking at the mission. He's like, man, if we're going to get the mission done, we got to take some guys who are tough, some guys that are going to stick with it. And you'll notice in chapter 15 of Acts, verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And I think it's interesting. We get our English word paroxysm from this Greek word here translated disagreement. Let me give you a definition for paroxysm. A sudden attack, a convulsion, a violent emotion, and action. You seen that in our culture the last few days? Have you been watching that on the news? Of course you have. That's what happened between Paul and Barnabas. There was this convulsion-like heated argument that came out of this conflict. Paul's like, over my dead body, we're taking him. Kid's a loser, I'm not taking him. Barnabas, when are you gonna grow up? Quit following your heart so much, good night. But yet Barnabas is on the other side, and says, I don't know why you gotta be so mean. You're the most rigid guy I've ever met in my life. Why don't you loosen up a little bit? He's a kid, he made a mistake, he deserves a second chance. By the way, Paul, where would you be today if I hadn't come alongside of you? and giving you a chance, right? And so it's going back and forth. And the reality is, that's the way it is in most conflicts. There are good points on both sides. 
And that may be the way it is right now in a relationship with someone as it relates to the COVID virus. There are good points on both sides, right? You have reasons you need to stay home. Maybe you have one of those underlying health conditions. You know, maybe you have elderly parents. My parents are 92 and 89. I understand that. Maybe you fall into that demographic where it's more dangerous. I fall into that demographic. I understand that. But yet you may be on the other side where you want to reopen. You need to get back out there. You've got a business. You need to keep a roof over your head, food on the table. And you know what? You're concerned about your health. Maybe it's not your physical health, but your mental health. Maybe it's your emotional health. I mean, if you've read any, any reports on what's going on in that area of our culture, and you know what? I personally get that because I've shared with you guys before, I struggle every year with a little bit of seasonal depression. Guess when it comes? Right when the COVID virus hit. It usually begins in March, flows into April, flows into May, and I've figured out how to deal with it, and Laura helps me identify it, but one of the ways I approach it and deal with it is not by taking any kind of medication. It's by getting up and going to the gym every day. There's something about, and if I don't go, Laura can see the negative impact, right? And so from my perspective, I don't understand why we can open daycares while, where we have two and three and four-year-old kids, you know, like Petri dishes drooling all over each other. You know they're not wearing a mask. Trust me, I got grandkids. They're not wearing masks, and they're not social distancing unless we're keeping them in cages, right? So we'll open those, but responsible adults can't go to the gym. See, there are good points on both sides. But the reality is the lines get drawn and the wall gets built. And I would love to be able to say that Paul and Barnabas worked it out. But you read in Acts 15, verse 39, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose a new traveling companion. His name was Silas. And they headed off on that second missionary trip. But I believe that when Paul left with Silas, I can promise you this. He left with a heavy, sad, broken heart. You know why? Oh, he got his way. He won his argument. But in the process, he lost a dear friend. Now, what's interesting, you never read again in the rest of the New Testament about Paul and Barnabas together. Now, unfortunately, this just isn't an ancient story in the Bible. It's happening in our lives. It's especially happening right now. I've spoken to several individuals who have told me that, you know, I've got this friend, I've got this relative. You know, we've always seen eye to eye on everything, but polar opposite when it comes to how you handle this virus. So I want to finish up our time together by talking about how to work through conflict and in doing so, possibly salvaging a friendship and maybe in the process restoring some sanity back to our nation as it relates to the racial tension. I don't normally encourage you to take notes, but this just may be one of those weekends if you want to grab a pen and a piece of paper or get your phone out or whatever and just jot down a few notes. Here's the first thing I would say. When in conflict, work hard at seeing both sides, not just your own. Paul later on writes a letter to the church in Philippi. We have it in our Bible as the book of Philippians. And based on what I'm getting ready to read to you out of Philippians chapter 2, I wonder if this is one of the lessons that Paul learned from the conflict that he had with Barnabas. This is what he writes, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. And I wonder if Paul didn't look back and think, you know what? I was kind of being selfish. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, maybe there was pride involved. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not just looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, don't misread that. 
it's not saying to ignore your own interests. I mean, if you feel like I've got to get back out there, I've got to get my business open, I've got to make an income, don't ignore that. If you feel like I need to stay at home, I need to be safe, it's saying that you, you don't ignore that, it's saying this, don't be so focused, don't be so narrow-minded that you can't see the other person's perspective, that you can't see where they're coming from. Now, this is the problem. Most of us, if we're honest, we suffer from ingrown eyeballs. We have a tendency to see our point of view, and that's all we see. And we look at the other person and we think, how in the world can they be so blind? How in the world can they not see what is so obvious? So Paul is saying here, hey, listen, don't look at an issue just from your perspective. You've got to be able to see both sides. Now, do you know what it's going to take to do that, to see both sides, not just your own side? One, objectivity. But two, and Paul hit on it, humility. See, it means I've got to put myself in the shoes of the other person and say, you know what? I can see where they're coming from. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I can certainly see why they would have that perspective. In other words, you have to leave room for people to have a different opinion than you have. I mean, that's just called life. It kind of reminds me of a fourth grade teacher. Her name was Mrs. Martin, and she had been out of school for over a week with the flu. So the parents of one of the fourth graders brought in a card and had the kids sign the card and write something in it and send it back to Mrs. Martin. And when Ms. Martin got the card, she opened it, and this is what it said. Mrs. Martin, your fourth grade class wishes you a speedy recovery by a vote of 15 to 14. <laughs> that just shows you there are varying opinions. Not everybody's that excited about Mrs. Martin getting well and coming back to work. And I say that because of this. In our culture, we have absolutely lost our ability to agree to disagree. In fact, it's gotten to the point now, if you don't agree 100% with me, you're my enemy. In fact, I think one of the most refreshing things that happened over this past year was when former President Bush invited Ellen to be his host, his guest. He was gonna host her in a luxury box at an NFL football game. And those in the gay community got very, very upset with Ellen. But her response is this, just because we don't agree with everything, doesn't mean that we can't be friends. So when in conflict, work hard at seeing both sides, not just your own. Here's a second. When both sides have good support, look for a wise compromise. Now see, this is what Paul and Barnabas wouldn't do. Now what would be maybe an example of a wise compromise? Well, maybe, maybe Paul and Barnabas could agree. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna leave John Mark back in Jerusalem. And, and we're going to give them a list of things that need to be done, that need to be accomplished. We're going to take off on the trip. If we find out he's done those things, if he's followed through, if he's being responsible, we're going to send for him and we're going to have him join us on the trip. That would have been a compromise. But Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. And in the same way, let's be honest, many of us are so rigid, many of us are so bullheaded. When it comes to an issue, we don't want to give an inch. And a lot of times, you know what? It's like, it has to be our way or the highway. And i be honest with you, as a leader, the leader of Hope Community Church, I'm kind of facing this right now as we think about reopening. I have literally received messages that go from this perspective that says, if you reopen the church campuses, what you're basically saying is you don't care if my family dies. That was an exact message. And then I'm getting messages over here, wow, when I started attending Hope, I thought you were a strong leader. 
a leader of faith, a leader that had trust in God. Why aren't you opening the campuses? Now I'm beginning to rethink, is this the right church for me? So let me just say this. We're going to reopen our campuses one day soon. And we will make sure we give you all the information. And I promise you that when we do so, we will try our best to be safe. But let me, let me just say something. Whenever we reopen, this is what you just need to understand. This is the new norm, okay? There are going to be risk. When your kids go back to school in August, there are going to be risk. COVID-19 is going to be with us for a while. When you go back to the office where you work, they're at risk. Believe it or not, for some reason they don't want us to think so, but when you go to Costco and Walmart and Target, you're going to be at risk. When you go to your first college football game, you're going to be at risk. Regardless of what you do over the next few months, you are taking a risk. So we are going to reopen. So let me just say this. If you want to attend, we would love to have you. We think it would be awesome. We want you to be healthy. We want you to be healthy. But I promise you, we're probably not going to wear, uh, have some kind of mask enforcement. We're not going to say you have to wear it. We're not going to be the mask police. And, and if that's going to bother you, we would encourage you not to come. You know, if you're worried that somebody might see you that hasn't seen you in a while and they get so caught up with emotion, they run up and give you a hug, we're probably not going to stone that person for doing that, okay? And so you just need to understand there will be some risk involved. But here's the cool thing. If, if you don't want to face those risks, if you want to stay safe, we are going to continue to do the best online experience, to provide the best online experience we can provide for you every weekend. We're going to continue to figure out ways through media to make sure that your kids in, in Kid City, their needs are being met, that your kids that are in student ministry, that their needs are being met. But this is what I want you to understand. Regardless of where you fall, regardless of which side you're on, regardless of the decision you make. I want you to understand, we're not enemies. It doesn't mean that one group is more spiritual than the other group. It doesn't mean that one group is wiser and smarter than the other group. So let's avoid judging each other. The reality is simply this. We don't really know what, what's going on in each other's life. We don't know their perspective. So we have to remember that we are on the same team. We're the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, we're the family of God. And we're also a minority in this culture. And you know what? If we don't have each other's back, nobody's going to have our back. So I would just remind you, when both sides have good support, look for a wise compromise. And we ask that you continue to pray for us as we find the best balance we can. But you know what? Last week, I spent an hour, hour and a half on the phone with about 20 pastors in the area talking about how do we reopen, and we know going in, there's no way we can win. So we're going to do the absolute best we can, but we all have to be willing to compromise a little bit. Here's the next one. When the conflict persists, care enough to work it through. And I'll tell you this right now. Conflict resolution takes hard work. And I'll just let you in on a secret. You're not going to resolve issues like racial tension, racial injustice, racial inequality on social media. It's just not going to happen. 
And I know for a fact, and because I've talked about this for years, listen, social media, let's be honest, it's about image management, you know? Social media is great if you want to show a picture of your kid going off to school for the first time or, you know, vacations or whatever you're eating. I'm not sure why people put pictures of their food on social media. That's fine for that. But you're not going to be able to address the conflicts and the issues like racism and COVID-19 on social media. And I'm just going to be honest with you. We've kind of taken a beating this week when it comes to social media. A lot of people feel like we're not being vocal enough, we're not posting enough, we're not saying enough. Well, the reality is this. We want people to know that we empathize and understand the situations that are going on in our country. But the reality is we know we're not going to solve them on social media. So it's a better use of our time doing the things that not only we're doing now, but we've been doing at Hope Community Church to bring some healing and to bring some resolution. And I would just say this too, and just be honest, be honest with yourself. For those of you who are so hard on other people because maybe they're not posting the way you're posting at all or they're not posting at all, maybe this would be the gut check. When's the last time you actually had a person a black-skinned friend, a brown-skinned friend in your home. Has it happened in the last three months? My point is this. It's really easy to post and hide behind a screen, right? But what are you doing about it? Because this is the reality. If I talk to friends of mine that are black, this is what they know. They appreciate the empathy. They appreciate the fact that you understand what they're going through. They appreciate the fact that you understand their frustrations. But they also know that for those of us who are white and are not dealing with the same issues, in a few days, we will have moved on to something else. But they will still be living in the backwash of this. So my point is simply this. You don't resolve these kinds of issues by posting things on social media. You have to sit down, and this is the key, to resolve conflict you have to have solution-driven conversations. You know, a few weeks ago, before this ever happened with George Floyd in, in, in Minneapolis, before we witnessed that tape that was just unbelievable, we had already agreed that we were going to sit down with some of our staff and some of people that attend Hope Community Church, and we were going to begin this, this solution-driven conversation to continue the one, actually, that we've been having for years, and I want you to watch this video. It'll give you just a little, little taste of what we talked about. My father ended up really rising to prominence in his musical career. And uh, I remember the, the first time that I got uh, my first really nice car. It was a BMW, it's a 325. And I was so proud, I was so excited. And I remember my dad pulling me aside and he said, are you sure this is the car you want? I said, yeah, this is the car I want. He said, I need to tell you that you need to prepare yourself because you will be pulled over. You will be targeted. And the only reason is because you're a young black man and you have no business driving this car. And I thought, what are you, what are you talking about? I have no business driving this car. And he said, when police see a young black man driving a nice car, 
with nice wheels, they're going to assume you're either a drug dealer or you're a pusher or you're, you're, you're involved in something that you shouldn't be involved in and they're gonna find out what it is. And, I'm, and as God is my witness, it didn't take two months for me to begin to start experiencing um, these very, very formative moments of my life being harassed by police simply because of the car that I was driving. A lot of times when you see the same images over and over and over and over again when these things happen, um, that causes a post-traumatic stress that we have. Um, you know, Sam mentioned, you know, being pulled over uh, for not doing anything. That's definitely happened to me multiple times in my life. And, I, and I, I, I hate that I think this every time I'm pulled over, but I say, man, I hope this guy isn't racist. You know, I turn my car off, I roll my windows down, I put my hands out, the, out my window um, so that the officer can see I'm not a threat. Um, and that's one of the things that my father's taught me and one of the things that I would teach my sons. Um, but I hate that I have to think like that. Um, it's happened several times and my oldest son was with me in the car. Um, I remember the first time it happened, he said, Daddy, like, what's happening right now? Like, you weren't doing anything. I said, uh, this officer is pulling us over and I don't want you to make any sudden movements. I turned the car off, hands out the window. And, um, you know, the officer made up something. You know, I forgot what it was. He didn't give me a ticket, thankfully. Um, but I was afraid. And I was trying to not show my son that I was that afraid sure. at the time. Um, and so those those experiences, it, it does something in you. Um, and the next time you're pulled over, you revert back to what just happened or what you've seen on the news or what you've seen on social media. And so, um, and you're just hoping, man, I hope I don't become another hashtag. I've thought that multiple times in my life and I hate, I hate that I feel that way, but I don't know how to not feel that way. You know, one of the greatest pictures um, in the Bible of what the church should be is in the book of Galatians where Paul talks about, you had the, the Scythians and the barbarians, you had the Jews and the Greeks, you had the rich and the poor, the slaves, the free, they were all together sitting side by side and just an incredible picture. And everybody would say, that's our goal. That's our goal. Um, how do we get there? What's that look like at Hope Community Church? This conversation right now, what you're doing, good. what we are choosing to do as a church is the first step. Knowing that we don't have all the answers, knowing that uh, we may never have all the answers, but that we're going to try and that we're gonna seek for understanding and we're going to grow in our knowledge and our love for one another and for the things that hurt us and for the things that can help us and, and learn how we can grow and succeed and win and live together in harmony. That's how this is going to happen. They say we're created equal. We're created the same. And, and we can learn about our equalities and our inequalities in a small group. And I think that that helps move towards the awareness and empathy that we need to make the change that needs to happen. Yeah, I think that as a church, we're about the gospel and the gospel knows no culture. It's for all cultures. And so 
I want my kids to see that. I want them to embrace their culture, others' cultures. And I think that we live in a society where it's, it's just social media blasts, you know, something happens and people, and that's, that's not how barriers are broken down, you know. A post on Facebook will never solve an issue. But sitting at a table, breaking bread with people, um, that's how we move forward, having conversations that lead us to action, lead us to loving each other and leaning into what you're saying and how I can learn from that. I think that's how we move forward. And I just want you to know that you can see that entire video, that entire conversation uh, at our website, gethope.net. But I, I want you to know that's not all that we're doing. Uh, yesterday, I spent time with Gary Vett, uh, with Don Smith, who oversees our communication here, sitting down with some black leaders and talking through how not only do we continue what we have been doing, but how do we up our game? How do we, how do we take these conversations to a new level, and how do we implement those things? Not only that, we've been approached by the media next week to host uh, a law enforcement forum to help build and restore trust and legitimacy between law enforcement and community communities of color. This is who's on the list to be here. The colonel for the North Carolina State Highway Patrol. The police, police chiefs of Cary, Raleigh, Durham, Morrisville, Garner, Fuqua, Verena, Holly Springs, Apex, the district attorney for Wake County. It's going to be hosted and moderated by True Pettigrew, who is one of our black leaders here at Hope, who has spent his entire life working toward racial reconciliation. So be praying as we host that meeting. My point is simply this. We are doing things that we feel we can do to help move forward in this challenge that we're facing when it comes to racial injustice and racial inequality. And let me just say one other thing. There are bad apples in every profession. We know that. There are bad ministers in America who take advantage of people and abuse people. There are bad teachers in America that take advantage of people and abuse people. There are bad accountants in America and physicians in America that take advantage of people and abuse people. And that's true also in law enforcement. But we're not gonna judge an entirety by a few bad apples. I just wanna say this, I have relatives who are in law enforcement, they hate the bad apples. Our church is full of men and women who are in law enforcement. They detest the bad apples. We get it. But what you don't hear is recently, uh, one of the police agencies in our area found out they were gonna have to arrest someone for breaking the stay-at-home order. But did you know they called us and said, we don't wanna have to do this. Is there any way hope can be involved? and maybe just take the wind out of the situation, the heat out of the situation so that we don't have to arrest them. So understand, these kinds of things are going on behind the scenes, but obvious, it's not what we see in the media. So just continue to pray as we have that meeting this week. But here's the problem. That's what a solution-driven conversation looks like. But what we often do is we post something on social media and disagreement takes place or somebody attacks us and it goes from being solution-driven to an accusation-driven conversation and that never ends well. So let me just give you the keys as I close to having a solution-driven conversation. Let me give you four principles. You can find all four of them in Ephesians chapter four that will allow you to sit down with a person that you're in disagreement with, a person that's different from you, 
They don't have to be black. It could be all kinds of people that you just don't see eye to eye on and how you can have a solution-driven conversation. Here's the first one. you got to communicate truthfully. Just a few weeks ago when we talked about not bearing false witness, we talked about the fact that you got to be honest with yourself, you got to be honest with others, and you got to be honest before God. you got to communicate truthfully. This is what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, I'm sorry, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. In other words, no lying, no exaggeration, uh, no rationalization, none of that, none of that going on. And as hard as that may be, that's where you have to start. Because understand, if you begin with a lie, you'll end with a lie. So communicate truthfully. Second, communicate tenderly. This is what it says in Ephesians 4.15. Instead, instead, speaking the truth in love. See the word love? That's the key. Truth without love, that's brutality. Love without truth, that's hypocrisy. So understand, speak the truth in love. Third, communicate timely. I've often said that when you have to have a communication or a conversation with someone, timing is often more important than content. And Paul addresses that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And we've talked about this before, but this is what, this is what Paul is saying. When we get in conflict... When I get in a conflict with you and I'm angry or I'm hurt and I don't deal with that in a timely manner. In other words, I don't, I, I don't put it to rest. What's going to eventually happen is it's going to get bigger and bigger until I find myself digging another grave, you know, in my relational graveyard as another relationship bites the dust. By the way, we're learning this from Paul and Barnabas. You may not, when you have these conversations, you may not always be able to come to a resolution. You, you may not be able to solve the problem and find the answer. But as a Christian, you have to come to reconciliation. Understand, you can reconcile and put off resolution for a later date. But a lot of it has to do with the timing. I'll give you an example. If you hurt me and I'm angry at you, right? When we sit down and talk... The conversation is probably going to be based on what you did to me, right? And I'm going to be ready to bear my fist. I'm going to be ready, you know, to get a pound of flesh because you've hurt me. But if I enter that conversation and say, you know what? Yeah, that hurt. That was painful, right? But I just want you to know before we even get started, I've already dealt with that. I've already dealt with the hurt. I've dealt with the anger. I have already forgiven you. So forget that. What I want to talk about is where do we go from here? How do we make sure we don't find ourselves in this situation again? How do we move forward? Can you see the difference? See, when you come into a conversation that way, again, timing more important than content, all of a sudden, all the tension begins to go down because you're not getting into an argument. You're having a solution-driven conversation. And then fourth, communicate tactfully. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who, let's get this last word, listen, listen. I want to say something as it relates to racial relations in America. If you want some application this week, this, this is what I would recommend. 
reach out to a friend that has black skin, brown skin. And by the way, if you don't have a friend, you may be part of the problem, to be honest with you. But reach out and get together. Maybe it's a cup of coffee. Maybe you talk a walk, take a walk together. Maybe you have lunch together. Maybe you just sit in the backyard and chat. But have a conversation. But if you're white, this is what I would recommend. Talk less and just listen. Just listen. In fact, I think this would be a great t-shirt if you haven't done your minor project yet. This is what I would say. Stop posting and start hosting. If you want to do something that could actually move toward reconciliation and healing and learning and being educated, and educated, education removes a lot of fear, stop posting and start hosting. And if you're white and you're, and you're sitting there listening, I, I made a list of don't make these kinds of stupid statements. Don't say things like, I don't see color. That sounds great, but we all see color. Or you shouldn't feel that way. Or all lives matter. Really? Do, I mean, honestly, really? Do they matter the same? Here's one. It's America. We're all created equal and we have equal opportunity. I mean, deep down in your heart, do you really believe that that's happening right now? Here's one. I don't understand what the big deal is. Slavery ended 150 years ago. Don't say stuff like that. Don't ask them to explain to you where there's rioting and looting. They're not going to ask you to explain why there's white supremacy, right? But just listen and learn. You see, if you're white, when it comes to our brothers and sisters with black and brown skin, you may actually be able to walk a mile in their shoes, but I promise you this, you will never be able to take even one step in their skin. You'll never be able to understand their perspective and why they see things the way they, the way they see them until you listen, until you learn. So I would encourage you, stop posting. Let's start hosting. I think the racial tension, the inequality, the injustice, this pandemic, I mean, let's be honest. It, it's caused enough devastation in our world. So I'm just asking you, this week, would you, would you try to apply these principles? Would you, just, would you just try to live them out in your world? And see, first of all, can some sanity be restored? But also come out the other side of this not just with our relationships intact, but what if we came out the other side of this with our relationships stronger? Do you think maybe if we did that, God would be glorified? Do you think if, if that's where we spent our energy, maybe the church of Jesus Christ would be stronger? But the reality is this, if it's gonna happen, it's gotta start with each one of us. As I said before, I say this with all the love I can muster. You, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. So I'm asking us as a church 
to actually make a commitment that says, I'm going to be a part of the solution. I'm going to start a meaningful conversation with someone, and I'm going to learn. Father, thank you that you're still on the throne. And I think sometimes when we we find ourselves in things like this, it's the only comfort we have. Just a conversation I was having with one of our black leaders yesterday, and he made the comment, I don't know how anybody navigates life right now without God in their life. And we thank you that that's been made possible through your son, Jesus Christ. The old song we used to sing, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, that has never been more true than right now. I mean, not just a pandemic and not just racial unrest and inequality and we turn on the news and there's another storm coming our way and murder wasp and as we saw last week, you will do whatever you need to do to get our attention. I can't speak for the nation, but I can speak for Hope Community Church. You got our attention. So teach us what we need to learn. Move us as we need to move. Not worrying about public image political correctness, but because based on your truth and your word, it's just the right thing to do. May we seek your heart. And you've promised us that if we seek you, that we'll find you if we seek you with all our heart. We need you more than ever. Work in us, change us, let us be a part of the solution, not the problem. We pray all these things in your son's name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Let's continue as a nation, as a church to pray, and let's see what God's gonna do. We'll see you next week.